follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Welcome to another edition of Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Goller, and today we're very fortunate to have Dr. Yanis Papasitiriou. He's the medical director of RGCC, which is Research Genetic Cancer Centre, and he's a medical specialist in molecular medicine. His main interest is in cancer genetics, with a major focus on chemosensitivity testing and developing screening tests. His research activities lie in the field of cancer drug design and evaluation and in the development of innovative methods of cancer gene or molecular targeted therapies. Born in 1973 in Munich, Germany, and in 1996 he graduated at medical school at the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki. After completing his obligatory Greek military service as a military physician, he completed state service as a GP and went on to undertake postgraduate training in molecular medicine in the University of Westminster of London where he passed with distinction. Master of Science training in molecular oncology at Nottingham University followed. He then trained as a medical geneticist at the University of Zurich where he attained his doctorate. He worked as a scientific fellow in the Department of Human Physiology and Medical Biochemistry in the Medical School of Thessaloniki, which is in Greece, where he established in partnership his first laboratory under the name of AGZ, or Z as you say in America. Uh, Subsequently, he established his current laboratory, the RGCC Research Genetic Cancer Centre, where today he remains the director and owner. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze, Dr. Yanis Papasatiriou. Nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Fantastic. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a very enriched conversation today, and I know our listeners are going to be very keen to learn about your particular field. So RGCC is one of the leaders in the field of innovative genetic and molecular testing. In particular, how did your interest in genetic testing for cancer become a reality? Well, uh, first of all, uh, simply we try to do uh, our work decently and efficient, that's all. So uh, leadership is not me who I'm going to define. Let the others decide it. So, uh, well, how we conclude to, um, uh, to this area? 
So it's known to uh, clinicians and scientists as well that uh, uh, cancer is a, a very pleomorphic disease with um, multiple abilities to overpass uh, therapeutic approaches. So through the years with the different therapeutic aspect that we have developed, we realize that cancer cells have, are very flexible. They have uh, what we call plasticity and they manage to find a way to overpass uh, the previous approach or even the present approaches in time. So um, that's the one point. The second was that we uh, figured it out that each patient is an individual. This is the reason why the same therapeutic approach doesn't work to all patients. And uh, we have different rates of respond uh, from the point of view of response rate on overall survival or uh, time to relapse, which is the major uh, parameters which we validate a therapeutic uh, approach to cancer. So this points us out that uh, each individual, according to the genetic and epigenetic, the gene expression profile, uh, they respond differently, and this is our driving uh, machine towards developing tests for chemosensitivity according to each individual profile. Mm -hmm. So your RGCC test has several levels of investigation and capabilities for delivering information. What useful information can be gleaned from the data that you take, and, and how can this help cancer patients to navigate what we call the cancer maze? Well, uh, I try to uh, make things simple without losing the credibility or the accuracy uh, of the data because uh, things are not so easy in science. We try to say that, oh, uh, something is, uh, can be due in that way or in, or in another, but uh, behind that there is a lot of complicating things that happened. So uh, actually, each individual has its own uh, genetic material, its own genetic information. That's why we are different. Uh, but uh, what looks different to us is not the genetic background. The, the genetic background is actually the library. So uh, we have the library and we have the phenotype, which are the proteins. So uh, we have the DNA, which pass the information to another level, which is called mRNA. This is what scientifically called epigenetic. And this translated to protein, which defines the phenotype. So uh, with all the methodology that we have to analyze uh, tiny amount of cells like the circulated tumor cells, which actually is the driving force uh, of the cancer disease, uh, we can analyze easily with the present method the genetic material and the epigenetic, the expression of that. The proteins require a large amount of these cells which rarely we can obtain. So uh, this is uh, the reason why we conclude that we need to have two ways at least to verify the data. That's the first methodology. The second is that, as I said before, we need to, to find out, since cancer is a very complex disease, which entity actually defines the progression of the disease, the uh, relapse, etc. So consider that in a primary tumor we have billions of cells which they can subclassify it in different subgroups with different features. Only one or two of them will develop 
during carcinogenesis, the ability to invade the surrounding tissue, entering in the bloodstream, and migrate to a distant organ and generate a metastasis. And since patients died from uh, the metastasis, very rarely from the primary tumor, so we need to conclude which entity is going to generate the distant uh, engraftment and the metastasis. And this is the reason why we are focusing in the entity of circulated tumor cells. Right, so we're going to, uh, in this interview, go over a few of the details with those particular things that you've just pointed out, like what is a circulating tumor cell and how cancer develops. Um, one of the objectives on navigating the cancer maze is to very much put a human face on the more aspects, the obscure aspects, let's say, of, uh, of medicine, but also to be able to simplify quite complex issues into uh, issues that the patient can really understand and therefore, um, based on that, can make better decisions. So uh, to begin with, given your background in science, can you share with the listeners your view uh, from your research over the many years, your view on cancer and how it actually does begin? What is the cause of cancer at the level of the DNA? Well. Um Many they said that it is the environment, others they said it's uh, uh, the way that we live, others they said that it's uh, our genetic materials. Uh, so um, all of them are right and all of them are wrong. <laughs> so Good answer. <laughs> actually, uh, we are the only species in, uh, from, in the planet that we do not adapt ourselves to the environment, but we adapt the environment the last hundred years to our needs. Mm -hmm. So it means that natural selection doesn't exist. So it means that uh, aberrations, changes, the genetic material for any reason, mutations or because it happens naturally, by chance, mm -hmm. uh, accumulated during the generations, the last hundred years or more. So it means that Many mistakes, if we could call them mistakes, are accumulated to our genetic materials, to the recent generation of humans. So it means that we accumulate areas of our DNA or our genetic material which are much more prone and much more easily mutated. And this is where the environment comes. Mm -hmm. So the environmental factors which we know that they interfere with the DNA actually makes easier the appearance of mutations. So if this cha uh, changes in the genetic material uh, start the process of carcinogenesis, then maybe at the end we may have cancer. Why would I say maybe? Because carcinogenesis has three major steps which may last from a uh, few years up to 20 years. So carcinogenesis is not an easy process or something which happened in no time. So we have the initiation factor, where, uh, the initiation stage, sorry, which uh, actually the, the environment plays the most important role. Mm -hmm. So chemicals, radiations, the, uh, the, the food that we may uh, eat or the uh, substance that we come in contact with uh, may cause the, these changes in the, the genetic material but still we do not have malignancy. So we have the first mistakes on our genetic material. If they cannot be uh, corrected, then uh, we, these 
may lead to additional changes in the genome. And the second stage consists on uh, changes on uh, DNA level where the regulation of cell cycle is disturbed. This is where metaplasia of the cells are present. Mm -hmm. And still, we do not have malignant cells, we do not have cancer cells. When these cells actually increase more the, uh, the, the number of uh, mistakes on our DNA inside the sequence, which actually provides the ability of the cells to invade and metastasize in distant organ through a specific process, uh, then we can say that these cells are malignant. Because the final feature of cancer cell is to be able to invade and metastasize. It's not only the immortalization of those cells. Mm -hmm. So that's a great answer, and that leads me into my next question. Um, once cancer then has been discovered, we've gone through those phases and stages. Uh, can you tell our listeners, I use this word, the story of a circulating tumor cell, um, how it develops and what the consequences are once these cells are released into the body. You touched a little bit on that earlier. I'd like you to go into a little more detail. Well, uh, as I said, the primary tumour consists from uh, multiple subclones, so uh, one of uh, or few of these subclones may be able to invade and metastasize. Uh, this is not, again, an easy process because... Uh, Using me normal mechanism of healing, cancer cells actually transformed their appearance from the tissue and the organ from uh, what, where they arise, and they look like blood origin cells, so that they will be able to flow in the lymphatics and the bloodstream and uh, avoid the immune system. So these are the uh, circulated tumor cells. This process actually happened very, very early. Imagine that in 0.2 millimeters in diameter tumor, already there are circulated tumor cells. So it's not a right. process that happens at the end stage of carcinogenesis. Uh-huh. We're going to have to take a break now and navigate in the cancer maze, and I'm going to come back and we'll pick up on that point because this is a very, very important point for our listeners today to understand the nature of cancer and the nature of circulating tumour cells. We'll be back shortly with Dr. Yanis Papasatiriou on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Holvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.holvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Yanis Papasitiriou from RGCC Laboratories, Greece. Now, we've been talking about the story of the circulating tumour cell, and I'd like to pick up where we left off before the break um, uh, about what is the circulating tumour cell and, and how does it behave. You said it bypassed the immune system and I just wanted to also touch on the point that many patients believe that their immune system is very compromised and this is why they get cancer. But indeed you're saying that the cancer cells are very clever and they bypass it whether it's good or not. <laughs> Actually, again, we uh, have a, a middle answer. They are right and they are wrong, wrong. at the same uh-huh. time. So. Uh, uh, there are again stages during carcinogenesis where there, the immune system actually can detect cancer cells. So the first stage, stage is during carcinogenesis where, where we do have cancer cells. Uh, the primary uh, lump of, of uh, bulk of uh, cancer cells are start growing. Uh, and during this grow, the immune system detects the overexpression of. Uh, uh, antigens on cells, the abnormal uh, distribution of uh, antigens on the cells, and the immune system start fighting back. So uh, we do have cancer cells which are growing fast and infinitely, and we have the immune system which, uh, through the uh, uh, cellular immunity with uh, uh, the macrophages, etc., and the humoral immunity through the antibodies and the rest of uh, uh, the biochemical molecules that use uh, destroy cancer cells. There, w- there is a point where the rate of killing cancer cells and the rate of growing cancer cells is pretty much similar. That's why we call this stage equilibrium. And this is where another st- uh, process is taking place. It's called immunoediting. The cancer cells start selecting subclones which they actually hide the antigens on the surface where the immune system detects the cells. One of the mechanisms is the B7 antigen from the HLA, as it's known in transplantation, where the cells are identified as our own or different. Mm -hmm. So uh, actually the cells doesn't exist anymore for the immune system, and this is the phase of immunoescape. And they, at that stage, the tumors grow infinitely. And in parallel, it produces uh, substances which actually suppress even more the immune system, or uh, it express antigens, so uh, the immune system will be tricked and generate a, a subset of cells called T-regulatory cells, the T-regs, which actually 
down-regulate the immune system by itself. It's a switch-off mechanism. So uh, this is the, what happens between the immune system and cancer cells and how the cancer cells overpass the mm-hmm. immune detection and the immune surveillance. And this is how the circulated tumor cell uh, escape as well. Another mechanism that the circulated tumor cells may use is what in Britain called uh, uh, microemboli. Actually, few of the circulated tumor cells may stick together and they may attract uh, platelets around, form a kind of uh, emboli which they can travel and since the platelets are around they cannot be detected again from the immune system. So, but again, even the circulated tumor cells are not uh, all of them capable to generate a metastasis, but a larger proportion of those can. Mm-hmm. So these are the ones with stem cell-like qualities, yes? Exactly. Yeah. Could you explain the, the difference between a circulating tumor cell and why it's sort of powerless um, and a circulating tumor cell with stem cell-like qualities? Well, um, we call them stem cell-like because uh, they behave like stem cells. They may be arise from a stem, normal stem cells, but most of the case they may not. Uh, simply, they use the same mechanism, which is uh, uh, the stem is defined by uh, two hallmarks, the asymmetric mitosis and the differentiation. So a cancer stem cell-like or tumor-initiating cell, which is even the more recent uh, um, name of them, Uh, actually they can uh, do exactly those two. They can divide asymmetrically, one cell divided in two non-equal cells, Mm -hmm. which one holds the stemness feature and the other is more differentiated. This actually uh, generates a tumor. Imagine that if these cells are engrafted in a distant organ, then during this process you have again a bulk of, uh, of a tumor where multiple subclones are generated still with stem cells inside. So it's in a way of generate a tumor and still keep the stemness alive. How much of a tumor is actually um, tumor cells of, of these circulating tumor cells? And how much is like scaffolding or uh, whatever within a, within a tumor? Well, uh, the entity inside the primary tumor, which they are able to metastasize and generate the uh, circulated tumor cells, uh, are really uh, very small. Actually, it's enable, we are unable to uh, identify them uh, from uh, the primary tumor. We are talking about a proportion of 0.00001% of the cells. And pretty much the antigens are pretty much similar, so it's even more difficult to distinguish them. In circulated tumor cells, of course, the proportion is larger. But again, cancer makes our lives a little bit difficult to us. <laughs> uh, cancer cells uh, have what we call plasticity, so they can easily shift from normal cancer cells to cancer stem cell-like and the other way around. So uh, it's not something predefined from the beginning so that we will say, we will follow this way to deal with them. Because even if we treat cancer stem cells now, if there is any way, uh, the rest of the cells are still able to shift 
and develop a phenotype with stemness hallmarks. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand more and more precise this mechanism. This is why we are focusing on in this entity, because circulated tumor cells are the carriers, not only for the present cancer stem cell-like, but also for the cells which they are prone to become cancer stem cell-like. Mm. How long have uh, we actually known in science about circulating tumor cells and these ones with stem cell-like qualities? Well, uh, actually the, the entity of circulating tumor cells is not recent. Uh, primarily they have been described uh, at the, the middle or end of 90s. Uh, but the entity of cancer stem cell-like, it started as a theory mainly from uh, blood origin malignancies, leukemias and lymphomas, uh, where uh, it was much more easier to, to prove this theory. But later on, uh, around the, the middle of uh, uh, the decades of two, between 2000 and 2010, 2004 actually, they firstly mentioned the name tumor-initiating cells and cancer mm -hmm. stem cells. And um, they, um, we try to prove the concept in solid tumors. So nowadays we have proved that cancer stem cell-like entity drives the disease also in solid tumors and they have been identified in most of the solid tumors. Mm -hmm. I think the listeners are getting some idea of the complexity of cancer. <laughs> It's often very uh, simplified as finding the cure, uh, but from what we're hearing from you today in your field of medicine, this complexity means that there's a lot more work to do. Well, uh, I believe we should start thinking a little bit differently, because uh, since you're here to make the questions, we can, I can answer with a question. Please. So. We try to cure cancer by eradicate all cancer cells, which pretty much it's difficult, mm. much difficult due to the dynamic of the disease, the changes that it can perform. But uh, in our world, it's much more rational and realistic to actually uh, take over or uh, remove the majority of the tumor and uh, the cells which are prone or very difficult to treat or, and they are prone to become cancer stem cell-like which we don't have a solution to eradicate them what, but we may have a solution to keep them dormant so I'm putting the question is it more rational to, for patients to die with the cancer without cancer being the cause of their death instead of dying from the cancer mm. because it's much more rational to keep the disease dormant under control control the dynamic potential of the disease and the patient may live normal life with a normal quality of life simply it, it, we have to deal the disease as a chronicle Mm. This is really important for patients to hear because uh, I think that the, the simple cure um, is something that patients have latched onto and uh, often that hope gets really dispelled 
And I think what you've said is uh, very similar to what Professor Vogel said last week in my interview with him uh, in his treatments of people with taste. He's buying people time, and um, this is what a number of cancer experts we've also had on the show are saying. Let's buy enough time, and you're saying, well, let's buy that time through bringing the circulating cells into a dormant state so that someone can have their well-being back, they can live an extended life, but... I suppose if we look at the cure word, they still may not be cured. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, that's a, a, a very deep and, uh, and well put together answer. We're going to take another break now on Navigating the Cancer Maze and we will be back shortly to continue this fascinating conversation with Dr. Yanis Papasiterio and uh, we'll be talking more about the chemosensitivity test and other tests offered by RGCC Greece. Back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze, and we're talking with Dr. Yanis Papasituriou from RGCC Greece. We've been talking about circulating tumor cells and circulating um, tumor stem cells. We're now going to move on to talking about your tests more specifically. Can you tell us about your chemosensitivity test and what a patient can expect to get from that test? We'll talk about how to get the test later on if you're wondering where you go for it, um, those listeners out there. But uh, what can you tell us about the test? Well, uh, I explained uh, previously what is the driving force and then our uh, way of thinking why we developed these tests. Actually, we, we like to consider them as a platform because it's a very broad and dynamic way which you can test cancer cells uh, exposed in several substances. 
So actually, we try to uh, call it a tumor profile platform. So what we are doing is that first we are focusing to the driving entity uh, of the disease, which obviously for us it's the circulated tumor cells. But we are looking a needle in a haystack. So we need to isolate these cells and all the subset of these cells because, again, circulated tumor cells are not homogeneous. Mm. So this is the first step of isolation. So we actually take the blood sample and by subtracting all the unwanted blood origin cells or cells that they may cause noise or false positive results like the uh, cells from the uh, inner lumen of the, of the vessels. So we subtract them all and what remains is the circulated tumor cells. So the first step is to isolate them and enumerate them. So uh, sorting and flow cytometric techniques are the optimal method in this case because you require viable cells and keep the entity and the antigens intact. The second step is you want to uh, learn more from these cells. What is their features? What is uh, the uh, uh, potential that they hide behind their genome and their gene expression. So, but you have few cells and this is where the step of expansion of culturing actually. And someone may say if you culture them should these cells change? Actually we have done experiments and we've figured it out that the expansion can be safe up to seven days they keep their antigens intact and their behavior intact according mm. to the primary origin. Interesting. So after that, you may have cells, multiple of those, but they change dramatically, so you cannot rely this data uh -huh. to apply them on clinical for clinical use. So uh, this is our time frame, and this is the reason why we are always on a hurry to uh, complete all the analysis in this period after we're receiving the sample. So uh, when we have the first expansion, we split into, so the first subgroup is going for what we call micro-RE analysis. Uh, it generates the all profile, uh, the all genome uh, expression profile. It shows us all genes if they are expressing, if they are upregulate or downregulate. And the other half used for verifying this data. As I said previously, what the phenotype is may differ from what the gene expression says. Mm. They are not always in linear relationship, as we call it. And this is uh, what we are doing with the second subcluster. We expose the cells in microwells to the active substance of each drug. Because uh, in our world, the, the, the drugs... Uh, most of the drugs are pre-drugs, they are not active as they are. So uh, a clinician is uh, administer a drug, but it changes inside the organism. This is what we call pharmacokinetic. And take the final active form, and this is the form that we use. But since most of the clinicians uh, is not familiar with this uh, process, and they don't, they don't need to know, the, uh, the name or the chemical structure of the active substance. Simply, it's fallen to us to adapt this information to the 
product that they use. This is what actually happens. Mm -hmm. So we have two parallel ways, the viability assays, which actually show us if a drug or chemical substance is working or not, and the microarray which shows what the old genome uh, of the circulating tumor cell does. Uh, someone may say, why don't you use only the viability? Uh, the reason is that the majority of, of the genes may not be druggable targets, as we call it, but they may interfere in very important processes like resistance, like neovascularization, where, which shows if, if the, um, uh, the tumor cells are able to invade and metastasize, if the cells are becoming hypoxic, which means resistant to therapy, if they develop several ports to efflux the drug outside. So all these informations are extremely valuable for the clinicians. And all these informations, then we harvest them, we assess them, and we try to present them as close to clinical language can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is the whole process of the TUP platform. And this platform can... Uh, um, can be done on not only for cytostatic but also for uh, biochemical molecules like monoclonal antibodies, the new generation of TKIs, or even natural substances which easily can be assessed mm. uh, by viability assays. So, uh, can you talk a little more about the natural substances and how many chemotherapeutic agents do you test for and how many natural substances at this time are you testing for? Well, uh, actually, we cover all the cytostatics that used in clinical practice nowadays, mm-hmm. and uh, all the uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies and multi-TKIs that they are available, uh, mainly in Europe and in the US, of course. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from uh, this is the the coverage. So. Uh, uh, for the natural substances, we are, so far we have a dynamic panel. Uh, in annual base, we use natural substances which uh, uh, the literature supports that they have shown an, an activity, and we actually validate them uh, w- through our test. So, if in a period of time a natural substance hasn't shown the results, because uh, we must not uh, confuse that whatever is published on cell lines doesn't mean that it will work on a patient sample. And this is something that we we may see it very frequently, or also the other way around. So uh, it's actually an, an, uh, an assessment process for natural substances, which is pretty much promising. It can be the beginning of... Uh, uh, discovering new uh, ways or new molecules to use it in clinical practice later on. Mm. A lot of people who are doing complementary and more so alternative medicine tend to spend a lot of money. We've often spoken on this program of people spending 100000 120000 in a year on natural substances, which they're really doing a one-size-fits-all approach. So if they were to uh, have your test it means that they might just be able to more target some of the treatments that they're having. But it shouldn't be done alone, should it, as the, as the natural substances that, for a cancer patient? That's true. Uh, actually, uh, we are following the philosophy of multidisciplinary team because we hold the half picture. 
of the patient, we know how the cancer cells behave. But the, the clinicians and the healers, they have a patient in front of him. So they have all the necessary information concerning the pharmacokinetic, as I said previously, how the body behaves, what is the body performance status, uh, what is the, uh, the condition, and what is the feature of each individual. So we need to be in more closer uh, relationship and exchange information because we provide all the necessary information from the pharmacodynamic point of view, mm -hmm. what the drugs or the substances can do to cancer cells, but the information what the body can do to the drug, normal body, this is a picture where the clinician holds. So uh, we can work mainly as a team so that a more effective treatment plan will be scheduled for each patient. This is what the, the, the most uh, effective way to work with. Great. I like the sound of that very much. Uh, circulating tumour cells, you do account on the cells as a part of this test as well. Uh, when you're doing screening, which is, say, an early detection test, and, and this comes into uh, some very tricky ethical areas here, because if a patient, for instance, wanted to know if they had cancer, um, using this test as a way of doing that could create a lot of stress for someone if they turned up with circulating tumour cells but had no tumour, so therefore couldn't be treated. Can you talk to that? Yes, of course. Uh, this is something that we already pointed out to our webinars and to our training to physicians, that uh, as every test, not only ours, because... Uh, uh, our test is named as OncoCount or OncoTrace. It's not indicated for diagnostic purposes. So it's not ethical, it's not appropriate, it's not useful to use it for diagnostic purposes. It can be used for following up patients during and after treatment. Uh, not indicated for diagnosis because diagnosis still remain in the field of expertise of pathology not on genetics or molecular medicine. This is a huge difference. Uh, if it used for an, another purpose, it's definitely uh, it's not indicated for, for this. Good. I'm pleased to hear you say that. You know, we've had uh, a few patients ar around the world ask that question. <laughs> I know, the, but it, uh, this is the, the actual truth. Mm, yeah, good answer. So we are taking another break on navigating the cancer maze. We will be back very shortly and continuing more of this interesting and fascinating conversation with uh, Dr. Yanis Papasatirio and we'll be telling you where you can find the test and giving you some details about the website and in the various countries around the world where RGCC has its branches. Back shortly. Don't go away. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Holvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, 
please contact the clinic via their website at www.hallwang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler and we're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze with my special guest, Dr. Yanis Papasatiriou. Um, Yanis, there's been a lot of talk about diets for cancer patients and in particular in recent times the ketogenic diet. From your point of view, as someone who works uh, in the field of genetic and molecular medicine and knowing a lot about how the body works, what are your views on this diet? Some people are saying it's dangerous and other people are saying that, uh, you know, they can give it a try and they don't think there are too many problems. What do you think? Well, uh, from the laboratory perspective and also from, uh, as you correctly pointed out, molecular medicine uh, the basic principle or the basic target for such kind of approach is uh, to starve actually the cancer cells from from uh, molecules that they can provide energy so since we know that cancer cells are rapidly divide they rapidly grow they have high demands on energy so that's why they uh, require large amount of uh, sugars, of carbohydrates and generally molecules that they can provide energy. So as long as uh, we may uh, actually uh, be able to reduce uh, these molecules to be available in cancer cells, then we hope that these cells may die. Uh, this is a very nice theory, but in practice uh, we must consider that cancer cells have all the available biochemical pathways uh, ready to use where the normal cells cannot. That's the first. The second is that there are alternative pathways which they provide byproducts, mainly toxic for normal cells as well as for cancer cells. And uh, the third one is that cancer cells can be easily adapt the environment. It means that when you actually try to starve them, they will find, they will switch off transcription factors like the HIF1 alpha, so they will be non-glucose dependent anymore cells and they will find a way to grow when the normal cells may not. So this in practice means that we may expect highly toxicities in such kind of approach. So I assume that uh, uh, ketogenic diet uh, are the byproducts of uh, less introducing of glucose to cells 
and the byproducts are the ketones mm -hmm. and uh, hence these cells the cancer cells definitely they will find a way to grow without the dependency on sugars when normal cells will not so actually by starvation we may harm at the end normal cells instead of cancer cells so I wouldn't be so confident of such kind of approaches unless I would see them in practice in, vi in, in vivo models or on a bench great good advice um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you, you touched on earlier, and that was on uh, cancer cells having the ability to coat themselves sometimes with platelets. And I, I wondered if you could talk about how uh, with DVT and uh, thrombus formation mm -hmm. in cancer patients, how, how this mechanism also works in a little more detail. Well, uh, it, may, it, it is a very complex mechanism, actually. Uh, this is not by chance that uh, clinical and medical, mainly oncologists, they introduce anticoagulant therapy steadily to, to their patients because they know that cancer cells, they have the ability first to attract the platelets in order to, to, be, to be invisible from the immune system. That's the first. The second is that the same molecules which actually triggers the cascade of coagulation the same molecules are used for in cancer invasion and cancer metastasis or migration so it means that actually cancer during the process of metastasis or spreading it triggers all these mechanisms by abnormal way so actually we may have micro uh, emboli or thrombos which actually may flow inside the body. Mm -hmm. Something that very frequently is observed in cancer patients and always, most of the time, especially in advanced cases of disease, we see the disturbance in coagulation. So uh, this is the one. The second uh, factor is that since cancer uses and interfere and makes abnormal vessels, not only in the area of malignancy but also to other areas. So we need, we need to understand that we have newly formed vessels which are not normal, they are chaotic. There is a basic principle in, in, uh, in blood flow or blood hydraulics which we know that when the flow of blood is linear then there is no activation of, of coagulation because all the cells and the platelets are flowing in the center of the tube. Mm -hmm. But if there's a turbulence, and this is exactly what happens in the chaotic newly formed vessels, we have again activation of coagulation and we have problems of easily forming thrombos or emboli which easily can cause problems to multiple organs. So deep vein thrombosis is one of those. Mm. It's something that a lot of oncologists uh, don't seem to know a lot about when cancer patients ask them. Um, what would your suggestion be for cancer patients to take, uh, to take this issue to their oncologist? Well, we've had a number of patients uh, who have travelled with us and they've gone to their GP or gone to their oncologist and they've said, oh, no, we, we don't think it's much of a problem. You might take a few aspirin before you fly. Uh, well, uh, I assume that uh, most of the oncologists are very well trained, 
simply they use it so frequently in their treatment programs which uh, it happens also to us we forgot sometimes when we do something regularly and we do it automatically so we don't understand the science behind it mm -hmm. so uh, on their treatment they use anticoagulants and in this case we have to consider pretty much the same principle that we need to treat patients in high risk of developing deep vein thrombosis so uh, traveling through a plane especially in long distance definitely requires much more active approach to avoid deep vein thrombosis. Great, mm, thank you for that answer. Now, RGCC, how can people order a test um, and are you global? What do people do? Well, uh, normally uh, anyone can uh, find us at, to, through our website mm -hmm. which is www.rgcc-genlab.com uh, it can uh, the, the test can be ordered through the website, which doesn't work in all the times in all places of the world. It can be ordered through an email or approaching the local branches, which are located uh, in strategic places around the world, uh, or even call us if it's in the appropriate time zone, because sometimes it's not so feasible, mm -hmm. and then. With all these ways, it could be easily uh, possible to order a test through us or redirect it to referrals which use the test and can, they can distribute that for us. Fantastic. So we will uh, list the website mm -hmm. on this Voice America webpage and if people want to find out how to contact RGCC Greece or any of the branches, we'll make sure that that information is available to them. Time is up for today on Navigating the Cancer Maze and I'd like to thank you very much for being our very special guest in conversation. Thank you, the honour is mine. Thank you very much. Thank you, Yanis. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, Cancer is not something you have to face alone.